And we're beginning a new series today called The Daniel Dilemma. And it's, it's based off of the book of Daniel that you'll find in your Bible. But also there's a book that uh, Pastor Chris Hodges from Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama, wrote several years ago called The Daniel Dilemma. And I would suggest you put that on your reading list. If you want to know more information, you want to dive in a little bit more, I'm using the book of Daniel and also his book to help us in this teaching series. And uh, my goal for us really is this, that we would learn to do what Daniel did. So you go, well, what did he do? (laughs) What did Daniel do? Well, here's what he did. He learned how to stand firm and love well at the same time. I love that. Stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. And don't you know that our culture is one of compromise, isn't it? So every one of us, here's the deal, all of us are going to face a time where we have to decide if we're going to stand firm in what we believe. If we're going to stand firm, if we're going to take a stand. And, and i got to admit to you, i got to be honest. For a good portion of my life, I knew how to stand firm. But I did not know how to love well. <laughs> Can, I, can anybody else identify with me? Like, I took stands on biblical principles, things that were in Scripture. I took a stand on it, but I did not love people in the process. And let me say it this way. I won arguments, but I didn't win friends. Oh, no, that's not what the Bible says. Y'all going to hell, right? Like, when I was in, when I was in high school, I started carrying my Bible around when I was in high school after I'd gotten saved, and... Uh, this guy named Lee McDowell in, in my class, he came up to me one day. I had a New Living Translation. Uh, okay, so I was going to hell for reading that one, first of all. He came up and he said, let me see what translation that is. You know, like he was the stuff. And he's like, huh, King James only. That's the only version you can read. Everything else will send you to hell. And so I asked him, I said, well, what about the Portuguese? Well, what about them? Well, they don't, they don't have the new king. They don't have King James Version. You know what I'm saying? They, they have the Portuguese Version. They going to hell. Everybody in Brazil going to hell because they don't have the King James Bible. And he's like, oh, I don't know about that. He was taking a stand but not loving well. Do you see where I'm going with this? Like he was taking that stand. And I've done that before. I've taken a stand but didn't love well. In fact, I pushed people away from God. And you may have done the same thing, not realizing that you were pushing people away and not creating an environment for them to come to know Jesus. So what I want to do through this series is to kind of help you see how you can do both. How can you love well and stand firm at the same time? And not only is it possible for us to do this, but when we do, we're going to influence culture and impact culture in a powerful way. Amen? Amen. So a little bit about Daniel. Some of you are going like, who's Daniel? What's Daniel? Well, some of you know about Daniel because of VeggieTales. If you like to talk to tomatoes, if a squash can make you smile, if you like to waltz with potatoes, up and down the produce aisle, then boy, do we have a show for you. <laughs> Broccoli, celery, gotta be VeggieTales. <laughs> There's never, ever, 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 ever been a show like VeggieTales. Y'all know it, and now it's going to be stuck in your head the rest of the day. Thank you, Ben, right? Well, 
So you may know a little bit about VeggieTales. You may know Daniel through that, but, but more than that, uh, there's stories in the Bible, the book of Daniel, about Daniel and, and all of the children of Judah. There's the story of the lion's den. There's the story of the fiery furnace. There's a story in the book of Daniel, all true, of course, because it's in God's Word, where a human hand appeared out of nowhere and wrote on the wall. And then there's Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. That's what I called him when I was a kid. I thought Abednego's name was a billy goat. Uh, so I called him that for years. Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. Well, if you grew up in church, then you probably went to Sunday school. You learned the stories. You learned about Daniel. But I've got to tell you, this is more than a storybook. This, Dan, the book of Daniel is more than just some stories put together. It's actually prophecy. And what God is doing, it's history and prophecy together. He put it in the prophecy section of the Bible. And what he's doing is showing us how to stand firm and love well. That what we've got to know is, is that there is a playbook in the book of Daniel to help us do that. Amen? So here's the last scene of, of Israel before we get to the book of Daniel. Um, for years, for 490 years, Israel and Judah had been neglecting his principles. They were being uh, exiled, led into captivity. They were paying a price of being a prisoner in Babylon because they rejected God. And can I tell you today that anytime we reject God, there's going to be a price. There's a consequence for that. You know, we don't like that, right? But that's the way it is. When we reject God and when we don't do what he tells us to do, there's a price to pay. And it's one thing for the world to reject God, right? We, we expect the world to reject God. But when Christians begin adapting ungodly culture into their everyday lives, that's another problem because it goes against what God's word says. And for years, God was warning Judah. He was sending prophets to Judah. And he would say, hey, don't go that way. Don't make these decisions. Turn back to God. And it got more serious. And, and finally, he started saying, he started getting very specific. There's a nation coming from the north, and they will put you in chains, and they will bind you, and they will lead you into captivity if you don't turn. And they continued on their way. And so this is what happens. They were exiled. That's the, the word the Bible uses. Led into captivity into Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. Led into Babylon for 70 years. And, and this is where we pick up the story with Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. It says this, that in the year... In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. So that's when they took everybody captive. They only left a very few, like the poorest of the poor people in the, the land to farm it. And they took everybody else out back to Babylon. For 70 years they were held captive there. And it goes on to say that the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. He allowed him to be captured, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. So in other words, they stole stuff out of the temple of God, and then he took it back. He carried it off to the temple of his God and put it in the treasure house of his God. So then it goes on to say, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz. So I want you to remember his name, Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, 
to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. So in other words, bring the people who are well-trained, who are educated, bring the people who come from wealth, who, who have you know, a little bit of knowledge and wisdom, and we're going to use them, right? And then it goes on, he says in verse 4, that young men without physical defect, handsome, right? I mean, not me, but handsome, like showing aptitude. These guys are quick learners for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language. So in other words, we're going to bring all of, all of these new Jews, and, and we're going to make some of them slaves in the field, but the rest of them we're going to bring into the palace, and we're going to indoctrinate them. Do you know what that means? We're going to tell them what to believe. We're going to teach them the language. We're going to teach them the literature of Babylon. We're going to teach them what to believe, how to behave, what's right, what's wrong, what's acceptable, what's not. We're going to tell them how to live their lives. And that kind of sounds like the culture we live in today. Can I get a witness? Where you're told what you can and can't believe and what you can and can't do and what's right and what's wrong. And that's, that's the culture that Daniel was being brought into. And he goes on to say that the king assigned them a daily amount of food from the king's table. Come on, somebody. That's what I'm talking about. We're going to eat good. But hold on a second. It, this food had been sacrificed to idols. So it was dirty food in a religious sense, and Jewish people couldn't eat it. It was against their dietary restrictions. Does that make sense? So now I can't even eat the food that... that that they're going to serve because that's against my standard too. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going there. And then it says these guys are to be trained for three years, and after that they're to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now we know Daniel, but who are those other three? Yeah, we, we know Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat, but we don't know Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Actually, the same people. We forget that their names were changed, and we're going to get there in just a second. So here's, here's what we just read. We just read about the effect that culture wants to have on our generation. That you, We're going we're gonna to teach you what you need to know. We're, we're going to teach you the language. We're going to tell you what you need to believe. We're going to tell you how you need to behave. And I'm just telling us today that if we don't understand the times that we live in, and if we don't understand God's Word, and if we don't look at the book of Daniel as a playbook for how we're supposed to live in culture, then culture will have the same effect on us, and we won't even realize it. We'll be, we'll be living just like everybody else in culture, and there won't be any distinction between them and us. And so, here's what I need you to know. Culture has an agenda. Culture has an agenda. When I say culture, I'm really talking about the enemy, the devil. Because he uses culture to, to do things in this world. He uses culture to have his way. So I want to give you three things that culture wants to do in your life. And the first one is this, that culture wants to change your identity. He wants to change your identity. Now, there's a lot in the name. Name is always synonymous with identity. If you saw me walking down the road, you'd go, oh, that's Ben. I know because I've identified him as Ben. 
Hopefully you wouldn't call me other names, but you call me Ben, right? And, and your, your parents gave you a name. You, your parents gave you a name, and you may or may not be living by that name, but you're living according to some name. You're living according to some label that you've believed about yourself, some script that you have believed about yourself. You're living by that. And here's the question I have for you today. Are you living by what God says about you or what the world says about you? Are you living by what culture says about you or what God says about you? And I want you to notice this. In, in Daniel chapter 1, the very first thing that Ashpenaz does is it says that he changed their names. Show that on verse 7. It says that he changed, he gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belshazzar. Now in East Tennessee, we'd say Belshazzar. That's old Belshazzar up there. Uh, to, to, to Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. He, he gave them these new names. And and here's the deal. We all have a name. My given name is Benjamin Daniel Murray. I have, I got all the Bible names in my family. Like my, I think my parents got saved after my brothers were born, and so they gave me all the Bible names. Like, hey, we missed it on the other ones. Can't go back and change it. We're going to make it right with him. Because Benjamin means son of the right hand. And then Daniel means God is my judge. But can I tell you, I didn't live according to those names for a good portion of my life. In fact, I did everything opposite of my name because I needed attention. I needed attention, and I would get, I would get everybody's attention. I would, do things, I would do anything to get somebody's attention. I'd do anything for a laugh. I was the class clown. I, I was not the teacher's pet. I'll go ahead and tell you that right now. The principals and I, we knew each other. I spent time in their office. I knew where Mr. McGuire hid his ashtray in his office. ISS, I baby. I was in there. I know. Well, because of the way I acted, I ended up with some labels. Are you hearing me? When my dad died when I was seven, they labeled me fatherless. I, I, was a, I, I was in remedial classes because I was a little bit behind, and so I was labeled slow learner. I had to repeat the third grade twice. I was labeled a failure. I was paddled in every single grade <laughs> through the ninth grade. There is one of our boys named Gideon. I thank God. We are so much alike, but in that one area. Thank God he has not gotten paddled. I, maybe, that's so awesome. Proud of him. They don't paddle anymore, do they? That's, maybe that's our problem. That's the problem in culture, right? Some schools do. Well, mine did. They weren't afraid of it. And, and I got a paddle and never got, so I was labeled troublemaker. He's a troublemaker, Right? And I'm just here to tell you today that the devil will try to put a script on your life that is not who you are. It's a script that is opposite of what God says about you. And he's, he will absolutely try to change your identity and to change who you are. And here, here's what I need you to know. 
You're not what the world says you are. You're what God says you are. You're what God says you are. See, some of you are living with a label of stupid because when you were a kid, someone called you stupid. And despite the fact that you have earned degrees, you still see yourself as that label. Some of you, your parents were divorced at a young age and you felt guilty and unworthy. You felt like it was all your fault and you live with those labels every day of your life because you, you, you felt that about yourself. Some of you, maybe you're called four eyes and despite the fact that you don't even wear glasses anymore, you still wear that label. Or maybe you were labeled fat. Somebody in the second grade said something mean and that has stuck with you and despite the fact that you are, are a fitness person and you are you have memberships and you've ridden in the hotter than hell hundred you've done all these things you still live with that label over your life it still haunts you i'm telling you today that's not what god says about you god has a different label god has a different label and that's one thing i love about our church is that we're all about helping people on this spiritual journey that they're on see we we want to help people know god in a life-giving, real relational way. We want to help people find freedom to settle their yesterdays, to settle all of these labels that people have called us in the past. It's not, it's not part of my life anymore. Settle the yesterdays to discover purpose, that there is a label that God has for you. And his label is better. It's so much greater than anybody else's label so that you can go make a difference now. I love that about our church. In fact, today is growth track step one. You want to know your purpose? You want to know the label that God has for you? Take a step. Go to the growth track right after church today. But even, it's not just growth track, it's baptism, y'all. Today's the first Sunday of the month. We're baptizing people right after the service today. So you, maybe you've given your life to Christ lately. Maybe you have surrendered your life to him. Baptism is what seals the deal. It's the thing that Jesus modeled for us and then commanded us to do. He said, go, be baptized, and baptize others in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we're baptized, it's a circumcision of the heart. It, it's cutting away all the flesh, all the desires that we want. The, the Scripture says in Colossians that it's a circumcision of the heart, but in, in Corinthians it says, any man who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When you're buried in that water, you come up out of that water brand new in Christ. Some of y'all need to take a step of faith and just do it today. Be baptized. Amen? So the enemy has a plan. He has a plan to change your identity. Now, let's take a look at these names that Ashpenaz gave them. Daniel's name is God is my judge, right? God's my judge. But notice the name he gives him. Belshazzar means lady, protect the king. He gives Daniel a girl's name. He, it goes from a male name to a female name. And let me say this, that every time in cultures, in every culture that turns away from God, there's always gender confusion. That the enemy is trying to change your identity. He's trying to mess with how you feel about yourself and what you believe about yourself. Why? Because he knows it will mess with your relationship with God and people. It's gender confusion. And then to, to Azariah, or Hananiah rather, then, then his name means Yahweh has been gracious. God, you're so good. Lord, you're so good to me. 
but he gives him the name Shadrach, which means I'm fearful of God. So he goes from God is faithful to God is someone I should fear. I'm fearful. You need to be afraid of God. Don't trust God. And then there's Azariah. Sorry, I keep getting ahead of myself. Mishael. Mishael's name means who can compare to God? And his name answers the question. No one. (laughs) There's no one like our God. He's awesome. He's incredible. He's powerful. He's mighty. Nobody like him. But he gives him the name Meshach. I'm despised. I'm contemptible. I'm humiliated. He he goes from, from confident to cowardice. That's what the enemy wants for your life. He wants to change your identity. And then for Azariah, his name is Yahweh has helped. Oh, God, you've always been there. You're my success. I didn't do anything to earn this. I just swung the bat. You're the one who hit the home run, God. You're so good. And then, he, and then they changed his name to Abednego, servant of Nebo. He goes from a son of God to a slave of man. That's what, that's what the enemy, that's what culture wants to do in your life. That's what culture wants to do. So I'm, I'm here to tell you today that the God who created you is the one who knows the perfect label for your life. And culture is shifting. When culture shifts, you have to know who you are. And you are not what the world says you are. You are what God says you are. Amen? Go on to verse 8, and it says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Remember, the king was going to supply all this food, and Daniel says, Hold up, I I don't want to do that, please. And it says that he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. I love the fact that Daniel asked for permission. He didn't come in and say, hey, y'all a bunch of heathen going to hell up here. I mean, look at y'all eating all this dirty religious food. I mean, come on, yuns. He didn't do that. He didn't. He didn't come in saying, y'all are a bunch of hypocrites. Y'all eating all this. No, he just said, hey, I've got some standards. I've got some standards that I really would like to uphold this. But here's the deal. Culture doesn't care about your standards. Because culture wants you to compromise your standards. Oh, you got a standard? Well, they're meant to be broken. That's the way culture feels. So culture wants you to compromise God's standard. Now, you might feel that pressure already in your life. You may feel it in society. That doesn't make you a bad person. Like, you're, you're serving on the dream team. You love God, but you're still in this dilemma of how do I love people but stand firm at the same time. Here's something I want you to know is that God's standard and God's law is for you, not against you. His law and his standard is for you, not against you. Everything that is in the word of God is good, not just for God, but for you. It's good for you. Let's give God praise for that. It's for us. So I think it's critical for us that when culture shifts, we reaffirm what we believe. This is who we are. This is what we believe, but we do it in a life-giving, loving way. So it goes on in verse 9. It says, it says that now God caused the official to show favor 
and compassion to Daniel. If Daniel had gone in, guns a-blazing, do you think they would have had favor on him? No. He goes in with a, a meek and humble spirit. And now God causes them to show favor on Daniel. But the official told Daniel, he said, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. I'm not the one who did this. He's passing it off on the king. It wasn't my idea. It was the king, right? And he says, why should, why should he see you looking worse than the other men? He thinks that, that if Daniel doesn't eat this food, he's going to look scrawny, right? Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? And the king would then have my head. He'll kill me because of that. And Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel and the boys, he says, just test us. Test your servants. This is the first of many tests, by the way. And can I tell you that you're going to be tested too? You're going to be tested. He says, test us for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. This is, by the way, where the Daniel fast comes from. If you ever heard of the Daniel fast, this is it. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat, waters to drink, and then compare your appearance with the, the other young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. You make up your mind after that, in other words. So he agreed and he tested them for 10 days. This leads me to the third point is this. Culture is creating a confrontation. It's a test. It's a confrontation. It's in your face, right? Well, what are you going to do about that? Well, how do you th what does your God say about that? What does your Bible say about that? It's a confrontation. And you're feeling that. Some of you feel it at school. Some of you feel it at work. Some of you are feeling it in society, on the ball fields. And when you're eating out in public, you feel the confrontation. And we have to know the test is coming. The confrontation is coming. And when culture shifts, it's critical that we respond the right way. Did you hear me say the right way? And I'll tell you what that is. See, I see two responses when it comes to this. The church, in my opinion, this is my opinion, the church is not doing a very good job of responding to our culture. They take, they take one of two sides. It's either dogmatic, like I'm right, you're wrong, y'all just going to go to hell, right? You better turn or you're going to burn kind of thing, right? It's, it's this, if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything kind of mindset. Like you, 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 better, you better turn. God's not pleased with you. Go protest and hold up signs that turn people away, right? And, and cultures, they're just waiting for that confrontation. See, you may be right. Can I tell you, you might be right. But if it didn't help them, then maybe you were wrong. Mm, I'm thinking to preach up in here. If, you, if you, you were right, man, you, you told them like it was. You told them the truth. You gave it to them straight. But if it didn't help them, maybe it wasn't right. Maybe it was, if, if it pushed them away, maybe it was wrong. And I want you to hear that. That God's not calling us to be right. He's calling us to be effective calling us to be effective. Then on the other side of the spectrum is this other group of people that they just put their head in the sand. 
Their head is between their knees, and, and they don't, they just ignore culture. Hey, come as you are. You don't, you, you can stay as you are. You don't have to change. God doesn't care about that. He loves everybody. And Little by little, there's a generation that is setting aside the word of God, believing that they love people more than God does. You don't have to change. God doesn't care about that. That's not right either. So, so what do we do? I mean, what, what's the answer? I, th- I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think it's a little bit of both. And we call it truth and grace. <laughs> you actually find this in Scripture. John chapter 1, it, it's, it's the, this is about Jesus. You see, the, the word, word there is capitalized. Anytime you see that, that's Jesus. The Word, the, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory. And the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of, say this with me, grace and truth. Say it again. Grace and truth. One more time. Grace and truth. That's how he came. He didn't come pointing fingers. You're going to hell. There's no hope for you. Maybe. Not sure. Uh, he didn't do that. It was, it was grace and truth. So what is Truth. What's truth? It's God's standard. Truth is God's standard. Well, what's God's standard? His word. Well, how do you know that, Ben? Because John uh, 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by the truth. What truth? The word. The word. So can, I make a, can I make a statement today? We're not a church that makes statements. We, we, don't, we don't go big with statements and stuff like that. We just love people. But I want to make a statement today that everybody in Wichita Falls, everybody on this side of the tracks and that side of the tracks, everybody in Texoma, everybody in the entire world is welcome at City Hope Church. Everybody. Everybody's welcome. There's nobody who's not welcome here. I like to say it this way. You belong here before you believe like we believe. You belong here before you become a Christian. You can come to church here, an atheist, not really sure about this whole God thing, and you're welcome here. You're welcome here. But at the same time, listen to me, we, also, we believe this is God's word. His word is perfect. While everybody is welcomed here, this is our standard. It's true. It's perfect. And we're not going to budge from it. We're not going to change it. This is what we believe. Amen? So, oh, y'all, y'all that church, y'all just take everybody down there. Yeah. I mean, is that so wrong? Y'all just take everybody? You trying, trying to offend me? That actually makes me happy. Y'all just take everybody down there. Yeah, we take everybody, and we love the hell out of them too, right? Martha, did he just cuss in church? I'm talking about the gates of hell. I'm talking about the the, the hell that's inside of all of us. We're going to love it out of people. Yes, everybody's welcome here. 
But this is God's truth. It's His standard that we stand on. It's His word that we believe in, that we live by. Oh, y'all, y'all got the loud music. Y'all got the drums down there. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're the church with the loud music and, and drums. But, but listen, the gospel is still the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same. So we have, we have that. This is our standard. But at the same time, listen to me. We can't stay there in that one camp because then no one would qualify to come to church. <laughs> we would all be condemned because nobody can measure up to this. Do you hear me? The Bible says there's only one who was good and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who measured up to this. We can't do it. And that is why we need his grace. <laughs> I hope y'all are getting this like I got it. I hope this is making sense for you. What's God's grace? It's his favor. God's grace is his favor. He favors you when you were not favorable. He died for you when you were still spitting in his face. While you were still sinning, Christ died for you. He loves you just as you are, but he does not want you to stay just as you are. I'm preaching to myself there too. He loves us just like we are, but he, he calls us to a deeper relationship. And, and here's what I love about him. He shows you such grace and such mercy and such favor, yet he doesn't allow anything good that you do to qualify you for heaven. You can't pray enough. You can't give enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't go to small group enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't serve enough to get into heaven. You are saved by grace. Amen. Yes, come on. Let's thank God for that. Ephesians 2 says you're saved by grace when you believed. Oh, you can't take credit for this. Oh, look what I did. Look at how my life, look at how I changed my life. You didn't change your life. It was the grace of God that changed your life. You can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. You didn't earn it. Salvation is, is, is not a reward for the good things that you've done because if it was, you could boast about it. It's free gift. And we can't take credit for it. So we need his grace. That's what we need in our lives. I want to help us understand this need for truth and grace over the next few moments. There's several blanks right there on the back of your handout. And I'm going to go through these pretty quick, so be ready. But here, here's, here's what we need to know about truth and grace is that without truth, we become worldly. We just we live as we please, we do as we want, we are corrupt. We we don't live by the word of God. And if we don't have truth, we're just a bunch of worldly people. But it's God's word that calls us back and changes us. It's his word that does a work inside of us. And every single one of us here today, including me, we need God's word and we need his truth speaking into us so that it can heal us. We need his truth in our marriage. We need his truth in our attitude. We need his truth in our thoughts. We need his truth in our words and what we say and what we believe. Because without him, I'm worldly. But on the other hand, without grace, I'm judgmental. Oh, I look at everybody else like, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. I mean, you know, I know I'm messed up. You know, I, I know, I, you know, we all sin. We qualify it with that. I know, you know, we all mess up, but man, I'm not like that guy. I'm not like her. We become judgmental. And we did a survey before we started City Hope last year. 
We ask people, tell us why you don't go to church. Because it's judgmental. That's like the number one reason, y'all. Because Christians are judgmental. You look down your nose at other people. And I think, I think the world is sick and tired of a church that condemns them. We've, we've got to remember that we will never have to forgive somebody else more than God has already had to forgive us. Amen. We need his grace. Here's a few more thoughts about truth and grace. Without truth, we're corrupt. Without grace, we're condemned. Truth without grace is mean. It's hurtful. It slices you. It doesn't do you any good. But grace without truth is meaningless. Hey, thanks for the, thanks for the medicine, but you didn't help me. I don't know where to go from here. Thanks for the encouragement, but I don't know how to stop this sin in my life. It's meaningless. Truth without grace is like surgery without anesthesia. Just cut you open. It's painful. But grace without truth is like a medicine bottle, no pills in it. But truth and grace is medicine. It's good for your soul. It's good for your spirit. God can heal you when there's truth and grace. He can give hope when there's truth and grace. He can restore your marriage when there's truth and grace. He can bring you out of addiction when there's truth and grace. He can give you life when there's truth and grace. Because here's the deal. Grace invites us to be free, but it's the truth that sets us free. Can I say it again? Grace invites us to be free, but truth sets us free. (laughs) Grace says, I know what you did last night, and you're still welcome here. You belong here. Truth says, here's how you can get past that. Here's how to leave that life of sin. And I want to close out with this story of of somebody you're going to know. You're going to know some of the parts of this story. It's a beautiful Bible story that perfectly illustrates truth and grace. It's John chapter 8. It's a story of Jesus. When he was on the Mount of Olives, he went back to the temple early the next morning and he began to teach them. A crowd started gathering around and he sat down and and he taught them. He told them truth and grace. He, He instructed them. And as he was speaking, the teacher's of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. The first thing I want to know here is how did they catch her? You know what I'm saying? You ever heard of a peeping Tom? How do you know what she was doing? We, we called her an act of adultery, teacher. Okay. That's right. And, and, and they threw her out in front of the crowd. So I, I'm wondering, how did they even know what she was doing? And then secondly, I just think it's interesting how we as Christians will oftentimes point out everybody else's faults and sins. Oh, but don't talk about me. Don't point anything out to me. And that's what these religious leaders were doing. He goes on to say that the, the teacher... The teachers, uh, they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses, 
The truth is, y'all following me? The law says, you've got a stoner. What do you say? See, they were trying to trap Jesus. They were giving him this either or, and that is exactly what culture does for us, y'all. It, it, it's trying to trap us. It's giving us this either or. But I'm here to tell you, it doesn't have to be either or. It can be both. It can be both and. Oh, you, the law says you've got a stoner. What do you say, Jesus? They were trying to trap him because they wanted, they wanted to get him saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down in the dust and he began to write in the dust. And it says that they, they kept on and on. They were agony. And the next verse says that they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, okay, okay, okay. All right, fine. We'll kill her. Now that's not what it says, but it's kind of insinuated here. Okay, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. I got a revelation reading this yesterday. I never thought about this before. For years, I thought that Jesus was just trying to point out the fact that everybody else had sinned, right? That you're all guilty. I thought that's what he was trying to do. You're all guilty, so, so none of us can judge one another. You know, I, I thought that's what he was saying. But read it again. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Who was there that day who had never sinned? Let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Uh, but I'm not going to throw the stone. Listen to me. The only one qualified, the only one who's lived up to this book, the only one qualified to throw the stone, the only one qualified to condemn you, the only one qualified to say you're not measuring up and you didn't do it right, the only one qualified to send you to hell says, I don't condemn you. That's the grace. That's the grace part of it. But he goes on to say, he stooped down and he wrote again. And I don't know what he was writing, but I'm kind of thinking that he was writing the, the names of the mistresses of all the Pharisees out there. And he's like, sat. He, he, he kind of talks like the church lady from Saturday Night Live, if y'all remember her. Sally? Herodias? Because you know that was a popular name back then. Martha and Jezebel. All right, there you go. And he's pointing out all these. I don't know. That's that's not Bible. Just my opinion. I'd like to ask when we get to heaven. What 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 did you write there? But check this out, y'all. I love this. He stoops down. He writes in the dirt. And when the accusers heard this, when they heard this, they slipped away. Notice it says slipped away. <laughs> That's why I think he was writing their mistresses in the dirt. They're like, oh, snap. <laughs> There's two Johns here, by the way, two Johns. And you're like, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest first. Many theologians believe the oldest went away first because they had lived the longest. They had the most sin. And they went away one by one until only Jesus was left with this woman in the middle of the crowd. The crowd's still there, y'all. And it's just Jesus and this woman. 
And I love the fact, I love, just think about this, that Jesus doesn't put your sins on a highlight reel. When I was growing up in church, they actually used that to guilt us. One day when we're standing before the throne of God, they're going sh- to show a highlight reel in heaven of all the things you've ever done wrong. And I was like, dear God, I don't know if I want to go to heaven then. That's bad. Don't. But God doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. When he confronts your sin, he comes in a loving, in a good, hum- just humility, a personal way. And he says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them? Who's the one who could have accused him? Didn't even one? Did I condemn you? And what does she say? No one, Lord. And Jesus said, here's the truth part, y'all. The grace was, hey, go and... The truth part's going to sin no more. The grace part was, where are your accusers? Where are they? He gives her grace and truth. Grace and truth. And that's what he's given us today. He's saying, hey, I know what you did. I know where you've been, but you're still welcome here. I want to lead you. I want to guide you. I want to direct you. I, I want to be part of your life. And here's what I'm doing, church. I'm calling us as a church to hold high the Word of God. It's our standard. It is perfect. It does not change. This is the truth. But at the same time, I'm calling us to give grace to people around us like we so desperately need ourselves. Can I get an amen today? Amen. Would you bow your heads and and close your eyes with me today? Let me just ask you. I want to ask you to hang around with me as long as you can. I I know I'm running a little bit long, but I want to ask you to stick around. I know we hurry out of here sometimes, but I I don't want you to miss what God wants to do in your life today. You can't just hear this word. You've got to surrender to it. You've got to respond to it. And while you're asking the Holy Spirit what he's speaking to you I want to lead us in a prayer Father I thank you that your word is so true your word is truth it's our standard we need it in our lives we can't go away from it we can't change it we can't budge from it Lord it is it is the same yesterday today and forever because you're the same yesterday today and forever your word is truth God we want to stand firm on it, but we also want to love people well. We, we want to do what Jesus did. We want to show people truth and grace. God, we don't want to change our identity in exchange for what the world has to offer. We don't want to compromise our standards because we want to fit in or we want to look right or we want to feel better. God, we want to stand strong in the middle of confrontation, knowing that you've given us purpose and destiny and knowing that we can impact and influence the world around us. God, we want to love people well. Lord, when we meet people who don't see eye to eye with us, Lord, let our first response, not to, not, not, not to be to run from them, but to run to them, to embrace them, to, to not condemn them, to not judge them, but to welcome them with open arms, to give them a high five, to ask them how they're doing, to see what's up in their life. God, give us that ability like Jesus. 
to love people with truth in, and grace. Jesus, you were totally God. You were totally, totally holy. You were perfect in every way, yet people were drawn to you. Give us that same ability to love people well and to, and to hold on to truth at the same time, God. And with your head still bowed, your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Ben, I am far from God. I'm not living by his truth, and I don't know his grace, but what I know is right now in this moment, I need him. I, I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning. I'm far from God, and I need a transformation in my life. I need a renewal in my life. If you're here today and you say, Ben, I'm ready to come back home. I'm ready to follow God. I'm ready to start a process of a relationship with Jesus. If you're here and you say, that's me, Ben, just lift up your hand. Just between me and you, hands up in this place. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Who else today would say, Ben, count me in that prayer. I'm going all in today. I, I, I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Come on, let's say this prayer together. Say it with me. Say, God, thank you for sending Jesus. I give my life to you. I surrender. I receive your forgiveness. I open my life to your standard, your truth. Will you change me? Will you make me new? Make me more like you. I surrender completely. My life is not my own. From this day forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank God today for salvation in this place.